We're all in business for a reason. The problem that so many small business owners have is that they go in 10 million different directions, not really sure which way to go. Listen as your team of experts, Jennifer Glass, Daniel McCrane, and Patricia Rezzatillo, go through what you need in your business to really make it stand out and benefit you. Because it's the bottom line that matters. Welcome to another episode of It's the Bottom Line That Matters podcast, where we are dedicated to your success. On today's show, we're going to be discussing objections. Objections? I object! Overruled. Um, Objections are questions in another form. You may have heard that before, maybe not. When you're talking with prospects and they give you any reason why they're not actually ready to buy, that's an objection. You may not think of it as an objection, but it is an objection. And you need to think, what does it mean when somebody says no, or I'm not sure, I'm not ready, I need to talk to my partner, I need to blame it on my wife, blame it on my board, whatever it may be. And I can tell you that there have been some times when decisions have been made on my board for one of my groups that I am a part of the board in the leadership, where we ultimately blame the board as a whole, even though it was made by just a few people, if only because it allowed us to deflect some of the blame from only being to a few to being an entire group where we weren't in as much risk of losing face. And so when it comes to objections, there's a lot of different ways that we can be looking at objections. So as I bring the two of you in, Daniel and Patricia, objections are everywhere. I mean, we hear it on a regular basis. We speak with people, they're not ready to do something. Why? What have you encountered as objections? And just, I mean, what were some of the wildest objections that you have gotten across and what you have been doing? Yeah, I've got a good story for that. Go ahead, Patricia. I'm going to have to think about wild objections. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) So I work with a management accounting firm and we... Our primary product that we sell is business structuring for tax advantages and asset protection. And we were talking with a prospect and we'd answered most of his questions, although being we were on uh, Zoom, I could tell that it wasn't, uh, he still had, he still had reservations. And so I got back with him about a week later and said, hey, I know you still had questions, you know, what were your questions? He didn't respond. I emailed him again, like another week later, same effective question, although it was phrased a little differently. And he came back with a couple of uh, clips from emails from one of our big competitors. So this is the firm I'm working with is a small 
mom and pop size um, management accounting firm. He came back with a couple of quotes from <clears throat> people he had worked with um, or talked with um, at a very large, big competitor of ours. And I could tell from my understanding of what we do for our clients and the way that the individuals were speaking about who he was talking with, that one, they had no respect for us at all. And two, they had no clue what we did. No clue. And so I took my time to get back to him because I wanted to craft a good response. And what I said in effect was, these guys are making some assumptions about what we do and why we do it. They don't know what we're doing, even from our little overview video, they don't know what we're doing. Let's find a time to, you know, get together and discuss what, you know, the answers of these questions should be. Um, it came down to he needed not just the answer to the question, but he needed the answer from a very credible source. So we got him on a call with our credible source. He got the answer, which was almost word for word verbatim, the same as what we had told him. And then he was ready. But he needed to know that what we were doing was going to get the result that we said it was going to get, even though this other credible source didn't believe that we knew what we were talking about. And I closed him. One of my very Good. first closes all by myself and I was absolutely ecstatic. Nice. <laughs> yes, nice. Good. Daniel. Oh, I've been sitting here trying to think of what some wild objections have been that I've run across. Um, I think I really can't come up with any. Uh, some that have been out there for me, I guess, were uh, questions about what kind of certifications I have. Um, even though in some of the areas that I was addressing with the prospect, there are no such certifications. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's all right. Um, so what part I... of the issue, though, is that people believe that degrees equates to experience and knowledge. Yeah. And the truth is that just because somebody has an advanced degree does not mean that they are an expert in that particular field. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you have an MBA or you don't have an MBA, are you really going to be any more or less uh efficient, productive, valuable um, to the entity that you're working with? Or is it just you've got this um, certification that says, congratulations, you have this piece of paper. And then it's also, where's the piece of paper coming from? You know, there's right now a lot of people who are using doctor in their name simply because someplace gave them 
an honoris causa uh, doctorate, meaning um, a uh, doctor of uh, humane studies, I think it is, and uh, one of those honorary degrees that are given out by institutions. And when it comes to what it is that you're really doing, so I now start using doctor in my uh, name. Congratulations. Now people all of a sudden believe that you're a doctor because you got this, but a lot of people really aren't going to question it simply because, well, sure, you know, my name is now doctor, right? Um, I don't know if in other cultures it's as big as in the Jewish culture, but Oh, my kid is a doctor. You know, <laughs> now you're a doctor. Go, yes. Uh, you know, my son, my daughter, they're a doctor. Um, congratulations. And, you know, noticing the doctor instead of doctor, um, because you got to say it, the uh, Linda, 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 oh God, I'm blanking on the character that Mike Myers played. Um, but either way, I'm all for clips. Go talk amongst yourself. Um, <laughs> but when it comes down to really, you know, what does it mean uh, with the certifications, like you were saying, Daniel, a lot of people definitely do get hung up on that. And I know that I've certainly had those questions too. Like, can you give me a degree? Can you give me a certificate for completing the work that I'm doing with you? Well, sure, I can give you a piece of paper, but what does it mean? Right, right. So in retrospect, um, what I've realized, because quite a bit of time has passed uh, since I used to get that objection, what I realized was I was not projecting confidence. And so I was inviting that question. The, the prospect doubted that I knew what I said I knew because I was not confident in what I was saying. Didn't come across confidently. So they were asking for that assurance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but... So let me ask you then this other question. Does confidence remove the need or does it lessen the likelihood of objections just because you're confident? Again, part of it is also you have to believe in what it is that you're offering before you can um, get the prospect to believe that you can deliver on what it is that you say you offer. And that doesn't necessarily equate to confidence. There's confidence, like I can walk into a room and I can get up on a stage and I can deliver a presentation and I can be completely confident in my ability to deliver the uh, presentation, the information that is in that presentation um, mm -hmm. in a usable fashion. But do I believe in the information that I am presenting can be a different topic or a different issue, right? Like I can talk about, uh, as an example, my political science professor that I practically majored in him in college. Um, there were only two main political science professors and uh, there was the uh, head of the department and then this other one who the head of the department forced out. Long story, I'm not getting into it here, but that professor, when he spoke about every different political philosophy, he became that person. So if he was talking as 
the most right-wing conservative Republican, even though he was a very left-leaning uh, liberal Democrat, he was able to come across as a conservative Republican. If he was talking about socialism, he came across as a socialist. It was like you're an actor. You become an actor, you step into the role, you don't step out of it until you're finished with the production, right? A lot of method actors do that. Um, well, and, and, and what you're describing about your professor actually demonstrates his expertise and his understanding of those different positions, which is actually incredibly beneficial for the student because now you can actually understand and contrast them from a maybe not a direct first person point of view because that would be you doing it but you'd be able to see it demonstrated across you know the spectrum right so again that goes to the confidence versus the belief like he didn't believe in the conservative republican or the socialist or whatever other method of political uh, systems there are, but he was confident in his delivery in what he was doing to get the students to see that. And so that's what I was saying. Belief and confidence don't necessarily correlate. Um, or do they in your mind? It can. It can. Um... I've experienced this more on religious topics than political, but then I don't have much confidence in my political understanding, so I don't tend to go into that. But I, I come from a rather conservative Christian family, um, and they wouldn't even entertain the idea that something could be different than what they'd been raised and taught all these years. And for a person to be able to entertain the idea without compromising their own belief system actually says a lot more about their belief system and their confidence in themselves. <laughs> uh, than just, you know, doggedly defending their position and not considering even contemplating the other position. Right. Okay. Daniel, anything else to add there? No. <laughs> Easy answer, right? So let me ask, when we look at objections, right, we know, as I led off our conversation today, objections are questions in just another form. What do you do with all of these objections, though, that you get when you speak with people? Well... I can tell you what we should do. <laughs> I can tell you what I do, and I can tell you what I should do. <laughs> um, shoulda, woulda, shoulda. Yeah, exactly. Did you? So, so in the past, 
I have done nothing with them. Uh, I, in order to develop my thick skin in my own sales, I have written off those people as uh, incorrigible or, and yeah, idiots, or, and you know those people. They, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Those people. Uh, <laughs> those people. <laughs> Got to do something so I don't cry. Uh, <laughs> what we should do with those objections, though, is we should explore why that objection came up and whether that objection presents an opportunity. So ask yourself the question, if someone did not buy from me for such and such a reason, whatever it is that they said. Is it possible that if I were to provide that, if I were to innovate my product, if I were to add an additional service as a way to answer that objection, would I win that sale? And would it enhance my business? So that's what we should be thinking anytime we hear an objection. Now, if you're like me, uh, you hear that no, and it's all you can do to keep from kicking them in the shin and running <laughs> home and, and crying. But <laughs> instead, we need to be grown-ups about it, and we need to consider whether their objection is valid and if there's anything we can do about it. I, and what I try to do, well, one, a sales conversation is just a sales conversation. It's just a conversation. And what we're trying to determine is if this is a good fit for them or not. So therefore, it's not like we have to beat them into submission, which was where I started way back in the day. Um and so when they have an objection, it's just them saying, I don't understand. And, and sometimes they're clear enough that they can actually say, I don't understand. What about this? You know? Um, so when they come up with an objection, you have to explore it a little bit, find out what the actual root is, and then answer that because they're just looking for more information. Even if it is, you know, well, my wife said no, right? Or the board said no. Well, then you need to have those decision makers in that sales conversation with you. And if you can't get them to do that, then you may have to write the prospect off and just make sure that you do a better job of getting all the decision makers in on that conversation. And that comes down to a question of how you qualify that the prospect is legitimate to even have that conversation. Right. In other words, are you asking up front, is there anyone else that is necessary to be at the meeting for us to move forward? Yeah. As an example of this very situation, I recently was um, on a demo of a particular product and the meeting when it got set up 
was very clear. This is a sales presentation. It is not a technical support conversation. <laughs> if you need tech support or you need to understand how features operate, that is a question for, you know, the other people. It is not something that this sales conversation is designed for. And so if you are going in in the beginning and you're already clear that this is a sales conversation, it is not a how are you, how's the weather conversation, uh, then things are going to be much different in the expected outcome from where we are, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I like that, Jennifer. It, it is very important to be upfront about what the agenda is. Yeah. Yeah. And so that also then goes to um, Sandler Training has what's called an upfront contract, which is something that I have been uh, trying to use as much as possible with the people that I speak with, where I say, listen, I'm giving up 45 minutes, an hour, whatever the time is to have this conversation with you. And I'm putting my phone on do not disturb, you know, and unless it's my kid's school calling kind of thing. I'm not answering the phone. That means that I know that I'm going to be okay and that whatever happens around us is not going to really impact the meeting because I'm giving up my time. It's my hope you would be as well. And I mean, there's other items there as well and certainly look it up uh, to get more of an idea what may be involved uh, with an agreement like that. But you can certainly ask the person you're speaking with to agree to those kinds of uh, stipulations going into the meeting. And so as we wrap up our conversation on objections, what are your final thoughts on the matter? Daniel, I'm going to start with you. The big thought that I wanted to share about objections that come up is just again to firmly plant this in your mind can you treat that objection as an opportunity so can that objection either point you to a way that you can innovate or enhance or add on to your business can you somehow answer that objection in a way that that's that becomes an opportunity for you it's not a, a slam of the door but it's actually an opening of another door so think about an objection that way as often as you can yeah it's it's just an opportunity to get to the truth of the matter is this prospect a good fit are we a good fit for them you know and if that answer is no you know, get to it as soon as you can. Update your ideal client avatar and your prospecting materials so you're getting better clients, uh, prospects, uh, you know, and move on. And if it's, if you still think that they're a good fit for it, then you just, you find an answer for them. And you just keep answering those things. If you see a common thread between you know multiple prospects then add it to your presentation cover it in your presentation so it's not even doesn't even come up mm -hmm. absolutely you want to make it part of what you're offering 
your presentation so that you're already addressing those concerns. If you speak with 10 people, you're going to find that most of the objections are around one of three things, price, time, or it was really unclear what the program is all about. Most objections fall into one of those three categories. If you can figure out how to address those issues and take the information people are asking and make sure that it's clear in what you offer, it's going to be a lot easier for you when you think about addressing those concerns. People are going to appreciate the sense of clarity that you provide. The subconscious mind loves clarity. It does not like confusion. That is why even in presentations, if you go with a presentation, you have an agenda and you move between sections of the presentation, show the agenda again and where you stand. So that way people are going to see that you are moving forward. And don't just have it as a slide. Say, we're going to move on to the second thing, the third thing, the fourth thing I said I was going to tell you. Because that is going to allow the subconscious mind the sense of clarity and direction that it needs and not allow the mind to get lost. Easiest way to lose a prospect's attention is to invite confusion. Because as soon as they start seeing something or start having a question in their mind, they're wondering now, wait, where, what, who? And they're I not paying any more attention grandma. to you. <laughs> right. And so you really have to be clear on what it is that you're doing and how you're presenting and moving forward from there. When you're working with a prospect or a client, are you giving them clear direction? At the end of the call, do they know next steps? Or is it, I don't know what I'm doing next. On that note, this has been another episode of It's the Bottom Line That Matters. We hope that you are going to tune in again next time for another episode of It's the Bottom Line That Matters. And until next time, here's to your success. Thanks so much for listening to another amazing episode of It's the Bottom Line That Matters podcast. We're all about helping the small business community grow and reaching as many people as we can. And the algorithms on the podcast programs love reviews. So if you loved what you just heard, consider leaving us a review. And even if you don't, I'm sure you already did, but consider sharing our episodes and our podcast with your friends and colleagues. Sharing is caring and here's to your success. Thanks so much and have a wonderful day. It's the bottom line that matters.